What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Logan Blackman Show. Oh, my goodness. It has been a little bit since we have recorded a show, but good Lord, it always feels good to be back. And I do apologize for holding out on you for so long, but I hope you understand why we weren't recording any show. But before we get into the show, reminder, you are listening to the best show you have never listened to before. And to make sure to go and follow the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and of course, since you're listening to this now, might as well just go and follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Oh my goodness. So, obviously, we have not recorded the past two days, so we have not recorded Friday or Monday, and that is because if you noticed what was on Friday or Monday was the fact that we did NFL season previews, and we did two videos. We did one video dedicated to the AFC side of things and one video dedicated to the NFC side of things. Okay? Those take time. They're about an hour, or not a half hour to 40 minutes, both of them. So just around, what, <laughs> an hour and 20 minutes combined? It takes time. So when I wasn't doing a show, I was like, okay, I've got to do the preview at some point. I've done an NFL season preview. It's like the most consistent thing I've done on my show or on my YouTube channel, apart from like the Gold Cup stuff, which we'll get to the United States in a little bit. We've got some United States videos coming up for you in the near future, so make sure you look out for that as well. But the NFL previews, we have NFL football Thursday. Did you hear me correctly? Did you did you did you hear me correctly? We have NFL, actual NFL football this Thursday. Oh my goodness. Can you believe it? Because I, I can't. I can't believe we're actually back to this point. It doesn't feel like it because it just feels like the other day the Buffalo Bills were losing the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs in the AFC Championship game. That's what it still feels like to me. It doesn't feel like where we are right now, where we are a day away from the first game in the NFL season. We have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Before we get into all of that, and going over the preview, because I hope at this point in time, on Wednesday, you have managed to watch both videos, which came out again on Friday, the AFC video on Friday, the NFC video on Monday, my Labor Day, <laughs> my day, I guess, was just dedicated to editing that video. I recorded the video on, when did I record the NFC video? Sunday? And then I took all day Monday editing it and got it out on Monday. Because this past weekend... I was at an Iowa Hawkeye football game. So I couldn't really take the time needed to edit during the weekend or record during the weekend. So I was like, crap, I need to do a video and then we'll re- postpone the podcast until Wednesday. So that's what we're doing right now. But I digress. Go and watch the videos if you haven't. We'll get to the end of the vi- Once we get to the end of the show, we will go over the NFL season preview and all that stuff and explain what I did. There's also a blog post which is linked in the description of the NFC video, so you haven't checked that out as well. I would very highly recommend you do that. I mean, it's basically the same thing as the videos, but just in written form, and it also goes over what I think the passing leaders will look like, touchdown leaders, rushing yards, total yards, receiving yards, touchdowns, tackles, sacks, interceptions, all that great stuff for both established players and rookies, because you obviously have to look at them in the same light. It's very rare that a rookie leads the NFL in one of those categories. It's very rare. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible. It's happened. Now, I can't think of any times it has happened, but I'm sure it's happened at one point or another. But before you can become a rookie in the NFL, 
you've got to be a college athlete. It's not likely that you're going to go straight from high school to the NFL. It's not possible to do that because unlike other sports, there is a physical curve you've got to get over before you can take the abuse that you're going to get in the NFL. It's the most physical sport in the world. Now, I'm not saying it is the hardest because the hardest sport in the world, I would say, is hockey. That's just my personal take on it. I know baseball fans would like to say baseball is the hardest, but hockey, and more specifically, hockey goalie, has to be the hardest thing to do in sports. But the physical demand of the NFL is way different to that in college and way different than that in high school. It gets faster and faster. Players get more physical and physical. You have more weightlifting techniques. You have all these different things that can make you bigger. The last person I can remember trying to be a young college player was Maurice Claret, and look how well that worked out for him in the NFL. Dude was an absolute beast at Ohio State during his freshman year. Said, you know what, I'm going to try and go to the NFL early. And NFL said, no. <laughs> so he sat out a year, and then it showed at the Combine and subsequently in his NFL career. Hopefully, we don't have any of those players in, the, in college football right now, but we have some very, very good players in college football right now. And the next year's draft, not necessarily this year, the 2022 NFL draft, or 2023 NFL draft is going to be ridiculous, okay? Because if you've listened to this show long enough, you know how much I have talked about Bryce Young. You know this has been dating back to last year. This isn't just a this year thing. You can listen to shows back in the spring or in the summer when we didn't have any sports going on and I was just trying to create content. Bryce Young was a topic of discussion almost every single show I did. Almost every single one. Because he's that good. And he went out there on Saturday against Miami. And I wish I did a show on Friday because this was so predictable that this game would happen. Because on Friday, I did Colin Company. So on Fridays, I'll usually go on Colin Company to show up in Cedar Falls. I interned it at it during the fall, last fall, obviously. But it's a good show. I would recommend you listen to it. If you missed it, you can catch it on the podcast as well. Go and follow Cole on Twitter or follow me and I'll retweet stuff. Go follow 1650 The Fan, whatever. But one of my locks or one of my picks for the weekend was Alabama minus 19.5 over the Miami Hurricanes. Because if you look at the history, or at least the recent history, of Miami football, they do very well against teams they should beat. And they get absolutely shit-stomped by the big-name programs. Namely, Clemson and North Carolina last year. And then North Carolina, not historically a big-name college football program, but they were a really good team, and they genetically jackhammered the Miami Hurricanes last year. This year... Miami opens the season against the Alabama Crimson Tide, the number one ranked team in the nation. It's Alabama. They just came off a national championship. Now, a lot of new faces in there. There's no Mac Jones, Najee Harris. There's no Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. There's not all these players anymore. But here's the thing. It's not like, and there's obviously levels to this shit, but it's not like Iowa losing a crap ton of five stars. They don't have five-stars to replace them. It's very rare when Iowa or Iowa State get a five-star recruit. Alabama and Clemson and all the Ohio State have five-stars on five-stars on five-stars waiting in the wings. That's just what they do. <laughs> so if you expected Alabama to have a down year this year, you know it is only after one game. 
So things can obviously change throughout the season. But man, Bryce Young looks freaking good. And right now, he is my favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. I wish I did the show Friday. This is why I wish I did it. Because then we would have talked about the preview of college football going into the weekend. Now, we obviously had Ohio State play Thursday night against, Ohio, um, against Minnesota. So we saw another Heisman Trophy candidate in C.J. Stroud. Like we talked about during this whole offseason, C.J. Stroud is going to have a good year at Ohio State. Why? Because he's got the best receiving core in college football by far. It might be the greatest receiving core in, like, as far as a 1-2 tandem in college football history. And I'm including Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. I'm including Jalen Waddell Devontae Smith. I'm including Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. What other receiving cores are there out there that are really, really good? <laughs> I just can't completely blanking on right now. But Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are freaking beasts. They're clear as the number one and two receivers in this draft. And I talked about this before. I don't have them as number one and two. I have them as one and one. I don't even have them one B. These two are strictly competing against each other on the same team. And whoever has the better season will get drafted first, more likely than not. And this, <laughs> this is a situation where he gets placed squarely on C.J. Stroud's shoulder, so whoever he throws the ball to more is more likely going to get drafted first. Now, that's not always the case, like just namely this year. Jalen Wall got drafted before Devontae Smith. But that's full season thing. Jalen Wall got hurt week five. We've talked about how Jalen Waddell, before he got hurt against Tennessee, was having the better year of the pair. I'm not saying he would have won the Heisman, and I don't want to take anything away from Devontae Smith's season, but Jalen Waddell was the better player before he got hurt. That's not, and I shouldn't, that's not saying Devontae Smith was bad. That's Just because you're saying one was really good and one was better does not mean you're saying the other one was bad. That's, not, that's kind of the world we live in now where that kind of correlates when it doesn't. What is the old saying? Like, correlation does not equal causation or something like that. Just because I say Jalen Waddle was better does not mean Devontae Smith was bad. It's like what we said with the Brazil goalies. There's not a wrong choice. There's just a right choice. Okay? Might not make sense, but if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> but, man, it took a little bit and made sense. It would take a little bit for C.J. Stroud to get going. He didn't start off the game particularly well against Minnesota. But once he got in a rhythm... It was lights out. There was one play I just stuck my hand in the air. Like, I think it was Garrett Wilson, or it was one of the two. Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave ran a post route in the second half right off the line. Oh, that's a touchdown. C.J. Stroud was looking him down the entire way. Wide ass open. And C.J. Stroud drops it in a freaking bucket. Touchdown, Ohio State. C.J. Stroud, though he started slow, is a very, very good quarterback. And I've talked about this before. This is the kind of situation he's in, similarly to Kelly Bryant, where you've got the number one rated high school recruit coming in, Quinn Ewers, who is not only the number one high school recruit, he's the greatest high school quarterback of all time, according to like every single scouting metric for high schoolers. So if C.J. Stroud does not have a good year, he is at risk of losing his starting job. And I'm not saying good, a great year because of how much expectation is on Quinn Ewers. That was the situation that Kelly Bryant was in. Kelly Bryant went to a national championship game and still lost his starting job to Trevor Lawrence. Now, I think C.J. Stroud is a lot better than Kelly Bryant, so I don't think we'll necessarily have that same situation, but he's going to have to have a great year. And having these receivers that he has, and even Jeremy Ruckert, 
the tight end. Having a guy like that there as well, and an experienced off the line, he has to utilize this to his full potential. And if he does, he's going to have a great, great season. And then we have other great quarterbacks, like Spencer Rattler did not necessarily have a great game. Tulane came into Oklahoma as the home team and was extremely motivated. And Rattler did not play his best game, which seems to be a common theme, which is kind of worrying that the start of the season is not the greatest for Rattler, especially against a Tulane team that Oklahoma, I mean, this is Oklahoma here. Though Tulane is not a terrible team, and Tulane's actually a pretty decent football team, this is a team Oklahoma should get rid of pretty fast. But their defense looked bad again. This was so much hype built around this Oklahoma team not just Spencer Rattler, but this defense was supposedly the best defense Lincoln Riley has ever worked with. But that that bar is very low. <laughs> so I think we, I, I don't know if we're going to see the best Oklahoma defense ever. They have some very good pieces. Nick, Be- Nick Benito, we've talked about before, the edge rusher, is one of the best edge rushers in college football. He's going to be talked about a lot this season. But not against Tulane. Tulane... Played a very good game. They were motivated. Oklahoma slept on them. Oklahoma still came out victors, but I don't think they went into Saturday going, oh yeah, we're going to beat Tulane by only five. I don't think they went in going, oh, we're going to beat Tulane 40-35. to I think they went, oh, we're going to pound the shit out of Tulane the entire game. We're going to win like 56-10. to That's the expectation for Oklahoma against a team like Tulane. No disrespect to Tulane, it's just the standard that we all hold Oklahoma to. They're one of the blue bloods in college football. Tulane, again, no disrespect, is not. (laughs) They're just not. Oklahoma should never have an issue playing a team like Tulane, and they did. And it seems like they do this a lot. Like, Kansas State is another team. They're in the same conference, sure, but should Kansas State ever realistically be beating Oklahoma? No. And they've beaten them the past two years. They're like 30-point favorites last year. And Kansas State still came in and beat Oklahoma. And this year, it's at Kansas State. Can Oklahoma end the three, the two-year stra- drought of losing to Kansas State? Or does Chris Kleiman just have their number? <laughs> Is that just one of the teams that Lincoln Riley just can't beat? It's just kryptonite. Like, Iowa has Northwestern. Why Iowa loses to Northwestern? Don't know. Should they be losing to Northwestern as much as they do or be as close of game as they should, like they are? No. Look at the history of both programs. Iowa should be beating Northwestern. <laughs> They're that bogey team. Oklahoma bogey team is Kansas State. <laughs> and I'm intrigued to see how that works this year. But Rattler, I mean, 30 of 39, 304 yards, one, one touchdown, but two picks. That's not great. Not a great way to start a season, especially when you came into the season as the overwhelmingly Heisman, overwhelming Heisman favorite. I don't think there was a lot of people that weren't going, okay, Rattler should win the Heisman this year. Rattler is clearly the favorite. Now, I released on Friday my preseason Heisman rankings. Or when did I release this? Not Friday. I got to scroll back down on my Twitter real quick. September 1st. So this was... At 11.09 on September 1st, so last Wednesday, almost a week a week from today, I released my preseason Heisman candidates. So my top 10 read Spencer Rattler, 
Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, DJU, Sam Howell to Eric King, Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, Keaton Slovis, Malik Willis. That was my top 10. I also had some honorable mentions in there. I had B. John Robinson from Texas, Brees Hall, Carson Strong, Chris Olave, Emery Jones, Garrett Wilson, Jaden Daniels, JT Daniels, and Kayvon Thibodeau, the one defensive player we had in there. And it's changed a little bit. So I released one today, my week two Heisman standing. So I think we're just going to release this once a week, change the Heisman standing as they go. So my week two reads Bryce Young at number one, CJ Stroud two, Rattler three. So it's basically Rattler dropped two spots, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud moved up two or moved up a spot. Four, Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter, I have been talking about a crap ton on this show. And Desmond Ritter, though it was against Miami, for Miami of Ohio, Miami, <laughs> Miami of Ohio, forty-nine to fourteen. Ritter, twenty of twenty-five, two ninety-five, four touchdowns. Also put up 31 rushing yards and a touchdown there as well. That's good stuff. That's really good stuff. And a good Cincinnati team that moved up two spots in the rankings as well. Then you got Matt Corral, who played against Louisville the other night. Or last night, I guess. Monday night? Yeah. And played well. Now, I feel bad for Malik Cunningham. <laughs> he just... Oh, man. Malik Cunningham. He tried. There was at one point in the game... He was leading Louisville in every single category, receiving yards, passing yards, and rushing yards. For those of you who don't know, he's their quarterback. <laughs> and he probably should have broken a touchdown on his receiving catch, but the lineman didn't get out far enough to block him, and it got stopped pretty short of the end zone. But Matt Corral, 30, 22 of 32, 381 passing, also had 55 rushing yards, and one touchdown. No, I didn't finish the game. I went to bed relatively early, before this game ended, because Ole Miss was, they were destroying them. It wasn't, it wasn't close. But at the time when I stopped watching, there were four targetings. And this was midway through the third, I stopped watching. There were three of them in the second quarter. <laughs> and one of them was on Matt Corral. And <laughs> realistically, you could have ejected two players for that one hit. He's sliding, and two players come in. And hit him in the head. You could have realistically ejected both of them. They didn't. They did not eject them. But <laughs> you, could, you had an argument there. You had an argument. And Matt Corral and Ole Miss dispersed Louisville without their head coach, Lane Kiffin. Defense played really well in this game as well, which was a big question mark going into the season for Ole Miss. But Matt Corral played well again as well. DJU drops to number six. I mean, Clemson stunk. That Georgia-Clemson game... Why was that game not shit on as much as, say, like, I don't know, a random Big Ten game that was 0-0, zero to zero, or 10-3? to three? There was nothing exciting in that game. It was a snooze fest. Georgia has an insane defense. We knew this going into the season. I didn't think Clemson would be rendered helpless against, <laughs> against their defense. But we knew going in, like, Jordan Davis, uh, Deion Kendrick, Adam Anderson... There's a few other players I'm forgetting right now. Adam Adam Anderson. I just said him twice. Who's the linebacker? N'Kobe Dean. We have some really good players on this Georgia defense. Jordan Davis being the main one. He's my number two interior defense alignment for next year's draft. I was surprised he's not at least in the top two for most people out there. I mean, he's a freaking monster. And he's a freaking beast. And Clemson did absolutely nothing in this game. 
Grand total rushing yards, two. On 23 attempts, two. Are we surprised? Not really. You lose a guy like Travis Etienne against a team like Georgia who has been built on their defense? Yeah. They're going to struggle running the ball. DJU, 178 yards, a pick, and a touchdown. I know technically he did not score a touchdown, but there was a pick, there was there was a pick six in the game. Christopher Smith, pick six. <laughs> so we'll count that. We will count that for the pick six. We'll get a touchdown for DJU. Don't worry, don't worry. Big Dr. Pepper guy now. Oh, man, snooze fest. DJT Daniels, 22 of 30, 135, one pick. I mean... I've never been that impressed with JT Daniels to begin with. I mean, I don't really know what you can take away from this game, really. I mean, Georgia's defense is just freaking ridiculous. I don't know if Georgia's offense just, I don't know. Zamir White, 74 yards rushing. I think the Instagram post he had was kind of funny, but kind of stupid at the same time. It was like something along the lines of, if I wanted to play with kids, I'd have my own or something like that. Like you won 10-3. to you scored, your touchdown was a defensive touchdown. Your offense didn't even score. Why are you talking about like you're so much better than Clemson? You won by seven points and your defense scored the touchdown. Why are you, <laughs> I doesn't understand, it doesn't equate for me. But yeah, neither team looked that great on offense anyways. Georgia's defense is ridiculous. Uh, J.D. Daniels. All right, I guess. I don't know what to make. I never know what to make of JT Daniels. Because he's not athletic whatsoever. He is the definition of a statue. <laughs> if you looked at a statue, looked at the definition of statue in the dictionary, his face would be right there. And thankfully, he shaved the mustache. Because that dude, good Lord, that mustache, he looks like he does things outside of football that we cannot talk about on the show. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Oh, man. But, yeah, exciting game. I mean, DJU, Clemson plays no other ranked teams the rest of the year. They don't play North Carolina. They don't play Miami. The rest of Clemson's schedule reads South Carolina State, Georgia Tech, NC State, Boston College, Syracuse, Pitt, Florida State, Louisville, UConn. Good Lord. Wake Forest in South Carolina. Now, as much as I would like to think Zeb Nolan and the Gamecocks can beat Clemson, I really doubt it. I really doubt it. The best chance of Clemson losing is, I don't know, Florida State at Pitt. They struggle sometimes at Syracuse. Like what? They're gonna they're not gonna lose a game, and they're gonna go to the ACC championship and coast whoever they beat there. So DJU, because of how good his stats will be, you one would suspect, is gonna be up there in the Heisman votes. Even though the one team they played that was ranked at this point in time, now that's subject to change. Now, obviously, throughout a season, teams can move in the rankings. But, I don't know. He's going to have good stats. He's going to have good stats. And he's going to be talked about in the Heisman, even though they're playing a bunch of Sisters of the Blind teams, pretty much. So, ACC, for football, is pretty trash. And that showed this week. And when you two of your top teams, the ACC, one of them got shit stomped by Alabama. The other one lost to unranked Virginia Tech. And that's the next quarterback on here. Number seven, Sam Howell. We knew going... Now, in fairness, in fairness to Sam Howell, 
We said this could happen. Now, I did not think it would happen against freaking Virginia Tech, but we knew it was going to be an adjustment for Sam Howell this season. You're losing Diami Brown, Daz Newsome, Michael Carter, and Javante Williams. All of them got drafted. Two receivers and two running backs. Gone. You have all new weapons going into the season. I'm not surprised he struggled week one. I didn't think it'd be like this. I thought North Carolina would still be able to get out the win, especially being the 10th ranked team in the nation. But this was bound to happen. Sam Howell had three interceptions in the game. Running game, 66 yards for Ty Chandler, led the, lead, led the team in rushing. Sam Howell put together 35 rushing yards. He led the team in carries with 13. Josh Downs, 123 receiving yards and a touchdown for him. If you look at his career stats, he has a combined total of 242. And in one game, he beat the total number of receiving yards he had last year. He had 119 receiving yards last year. He had 123 in this first game against Virginia Tech. So would I am I worried about Sam Howell going into the season? No. We literally talked about this. I didn't see it. I didn't, again, I didn't think it'd be like this, but we knew there'd be some growing pains with all these new pieces around him. 17-32, 208, one touchdown, three picks. Not a great way to start the season, but North Carolina and Sam Howell will still be talked about towards the end of the season. And he might actually, we can move him down if you really wanted to. Because Chris Olave, the receiver from Ohio State, we talked about him just a little bit ago, is a beast. 117 yards, two touchdowns, four catches. It's like the freaking Randy Moss game against the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving. What was it, three catches, 200-some yards, three touchdowns? Four catches, two touchdowns, 117 yards. C.J. Stroud, four touchdowns in the game. (laughs) Three of them go into the top two receivers in college football. They're going to be good. They're going to be good. (laughs) And Chris Olave is going to properly be in the conversation for the Heisman Trophy. Then number nine, we had B. John Robinson. He gets talked about quite a bit in regards to Heisman talk. 103 yards and a touchdown for him against Louisiana, top 25 team. Hudson Card started the game for Texas. The true freshman quarterback came in. Not terribly surprised that he started. There was a lot of talk that he was going to be the starter going into the season. Casey Thompson played some games last year, but Hudson Card, Phil Steele predicted it. So if Phil Steele says it, more often than not, it's law. <laughs> so Texas saw that. Sark saw that and was like, oh, Phil Steele said that. Ooh, I might, I think I have to do that. And then finally, number 10, uh, Derek King. I think Derek King will be back up there in the Heisman talk. Oh boy. But he just they Miami just stunk up the building. Miami is too reliant on Derek King. For games like Miami or against Alabama, that game is a prime example of them being too overly reliant on Derek King. Because that dude is really good. And I don't fault them for doing that. But that's what happens. You are so one-dimensional, it hurts to watch. It's very one-dimensional. And I love Derek King. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks in college football, has been for a while. I've talked about him a lot on this show. But you got to try to figure out other ways to move the ball around other than just Derek King. Because, again, the past two years, you look at the top teams Miami has faced, North Carolina, Clemson, Alabama, all of them destroyed. Not even a thought of it game. the game being close. Not even a thought. Terrible games. 
All three of them. Now you can go, well, Logan, they also played ranked Louisville last year. Oh, the, the ranked Louisville Cardinals. Yeah, they played them week two. They're ranked 18th. Well, I don't care what they were ranked at the time because Louisville finished 4-7 and seven last year. I don't care. <laughs> oh, Logan, well, they, they had a close game against number 21 ranked Oklahoma State in the bowl game. Okay? Again, don't care. <laughs> That's not the same thing as Clemson and North Carolina and Alabama. 62-26 to against North Carolina. At home. 42-17 against Clemson. Now, on the road, okay. 44-13 against Alabama. Not even close. Now, you get a, a hopefully make-up game or make-up weeks these next few weeks. Appalachian State, Michigan State, Central Connecticut, and Virginia all at home. So, hopefully that gets you in somewhat of a rhythm before you play North Carolina on Saturday, October 6th, 16th. Then you play Virginia Tech, who's now in the top 25 after beating North Carolina 17-10 this past week. North Carolina dropped, I think, 13 or 14 spots <laughs> in the standings. Man, that's a little harsh. <laughs> I mean, Virginia Tech, it's not like they lost to a, a freaking FCS school like Washington or lost to a really bad FBS team. No, they lost to a conference team. <laughs> this isn't a 14-place dropping. That's a little harsh. In my opinion, that's a little harsh. Now, I'm also kind of a North Carolina fan, so I'm, I'm going to be a little biased to that, but that's a little that's a little freaking harsh there. Oh, man. But those are my Heisman, dart, my Heisman rankings. So, again, Bryce Young, 1, C.J. Stroud, 2, Spencer Rattler, 3, Desmond Reader, 4, Matt Corral, 5, DJU, 6, Sam Howell, 7, Chris Olave, 8, B. John Robinson, 9, and Derek King, 10. And we also had some great performances week 1 as well. Jack Cohn balled out for Notre Dame, and we saw the triumphant return of Mackenzie Milton, the former UCF quarterback who just destroyed his leg at UCF. Has been out for two and a half years, rehabbed. The doctor said he might not even be able to walk again without pain, and now he's playing the number one, number nine ranked team in the nation in your first game of the season. So I don't know what's going to happen moving forward because that team seemed to have a little bit more juice when Mackenzie Milton came in after Jordan Travis got his helmet knocked off. That team had some juice. And Mackenzie Millen has been there and done that. That dude is a good football player. After watching him at UCF, I, if the knee injury wasn't a thing, we wouldn't even have in this conversation on who should be the starting quarterback at Florida State. Mackenzie Milton, if he's fit enough, should be the starting quarterback at Florida State. I was really surprised. It was like the day of that Jordan Travis was announced as the starting quarterback for Notre, for Florida State. It was the day of. At least that's when I saw it. I was going all into the season as Mackenzie Milton was a starter. I even posted on Twitter. I think I ranked him fifth best quarterback in the ACC. I don't know if those questions will still remain. I don't know if they're going to do a two-quarterback thing. Jordan Travis seemed very positive in the response of Mackenzie Milton, which was very good to see. He was right next to him, celebrating with him, talking to him on the sideline. It was one of the coolest moments you'll ever see into sports in general, not just college football, in sports in general. Fun atmosphere for that Notre Dame-Florida State game, Notre Dame won, and yeah, I get the Brian Kelly execution thing. Grow up. It's not that deep. Get over it. I mean, John McKay has a thousand quotes like that. We brought, we made a John McKay reference in the AFC preview. <laughs> like, 
John McKay said that type of thing all the time. The difference is he was never laughing <laughs> that he actually meant it. Oh, man, go watch some old John McKay clips. Then you'll understand where Brian Kelly was coming from. It's not that deep. I was tired of seeing, like, did he just say what? Yes, he said he'd execute his team. Oh, who flipping cares? There's worse things he's probably said at practice. He just said that on national TV. Who cares? It's not that deep. But Jack Cohen played a really good game. J.G. Daniels will still be up there as well because Georgia will be good. Brees Hall didn't have a great game. Against you and I, which 31-point favorites over you and I, if you've watched the game long enough, you know that was never going to happen. You and I always plays Iowa State very tough. I'm not saying you and I always wins. There are games and examples where you and I has won, but that game's always really tough. So if you took Iowa State to cover 31 points or 31 and a half, whatever it was, you're stupid. I really don't know what to tell you. I don't th- like at you and I at its worst lost forty two to twenty four to you and to Iowa State. That's not even thirty one points. What made you think that this year is going to be any different? I get Iowa State is ranked number seven in the nation. That doesn't matter if you look at Matt Campbell's starts in his season. Matt Campbell and Iowa State have never started off good. They might have won, but they've been outscored by their opponents since Matt Campbell's been the head coach since twenty sixteen. In week one. Iowa State has been outscored by their opponents in week one. Now that might have changed because obviously the South Dakota State game a few years ago got canceled, so Iowa was week one, so maybe that'd be a little bit different. Either way, Iowa State starts the season off so slow. So slow. And against a team that's always up for that game, you and I, stupid. (laughs) Even though watching you and I in the spring, watching how bad their offense was, you knew they were going to be up for this game. Mark Farley is going to have that team ready. Their defense is going to be ready. Omar Brown is one of the best players in the FCS. And if he was in the FBS, it'd be talked about the same thing. Omar Brown is a damn good football player. I love Omar Brown. He's a freaking beast. You and I had healthy receivers. Will McIlvain played all right. There was the quarterback battle with uh, Michigan State transfer Theo Day. And... I don't know how you can judge Will off that game. Though it's a short leash, and rightfully so, Will did not cover himself in glory against in the spring spring schedule, but the coordinator left like two weeks or a week before the season started. Sean Watson came in, was already there, but didn't implement an offense. They had injuries on the O-line, inconsistencies on the O-line. They had no running game. Wide receivers were hurt. It was a down year for him. Spring or fall comes, there's obviously a quarterback battle. I mean, Will McIlvain did not, again, did not play great in the spring. And in this game, he threw two picks that were not great. But again, it's hard to tell because you're playing the number seven ranked team in the FBS. It's kind of harder to go, okay, you're pulled after throwing two picks against a top 10 team in a league that's supposed to be better than yours. That's a little hard to pull a leash there. So Will played all right. He started the game off really well, finished not at the same level. Let's just call it like that. But that leash is short between him and Theo Day. And we'll wait to see if that actually happens. I like Will a lot. I've interviewed him on the show before. I practiced with him in high school. I like him. So I hope he keeps the starting job. 515 kid, Des Moines kid. I want to see the Des Moines kids do well. But if you and I feel Theo Day would be a better answer at quarterback, I'm open to that as well because I am a fan of the UNI Panthers as well. I just went to school there. 
So I do follow and support you, and I even though I did go to the Iowa game, but if you get free tickets, you get free tickets. I was trying to find tickets to the UNI-Iowa State game, to be honest, but I got priced out, and the game got sold out. So then I was like, okay, well, it looks like I'm just watching the game on TV, and then when my friends calls me Wednesday night and asks me, hey, Logan, do you want to go to the Iowa game on Saturday? Uh, hell yeah, I do. And Iowa put Indiana to the frickin' sword. <laughs> it was awesome to watch. If you're a fan of defense, because Iowa's offense stinks, at least at quarterback. We said this last year. This is not old news. You know my opinions on Spencer Petras. Tyler Goodson looks good. Tyrone Tracy, if you're somehow listening to this, please punch Spencer Petras in the face for me. Please. And I don't mean this. I don't like Spencer Petras to punch him in the face. That dude, Tyrone Tracy used to be the most pissed off person in the state of Iowa after Saturday. You're happy they won. As a teammate, you are extremely happy you won. The win is all that matters. That's what I'll say. But you are pissed off. I would be pissed off. There were so many times my head was in my hands. And Iowa was up 31-3 to at halftime. <laughs> but two of those touchdowns were pick sixes by Riley Moss. The return of the white corner. Two pick sixes. Then one touchdown run from Tyler Goodson and the one QB sneak or QB draw from Spencer Peters, which I called, by the way. Iowa, it's weird because I don't know what to make. The defense looks awesome. I'm not going to take anything away from the defense. Defense looks really, really good as advertised. Petrus does not look good. Tyler Goodson had a 99-yard rushing in the game, which on the face of it, good carry, good rushing total. 56 of that came on one play. And that was the touchdown around the first quarter. Michael Penix threw three picks. You can tell he's not comfortable with his knee. Didn't move around as well as he did. Looked bad. Indiana as a whole looked bad. Ty Freifogel, which we knew was going to be a big answer, big threat for Indiana because he's their best player. So you knew he was going to be an answer. He got a good game for the standard that Indiana was playing at on Saturday. But 34-6 was the final offense does not look good. Petrus, I've never seen a quarterback so locked in on his first read than Spencer Petrus. I don't know what it is. And I'm not saying he's Jake Christensen because you have to be a terrible-ass quarterback to be compared to Jake Christensen. But this dude has never looked off a receiver one time. I watched him, and going into when he was coming in at Iowa, you all you heard was about... All you heard about was this dude broke all of Jared Goff's high school records. Jared Goff, the the former number one overall pick, the quarterback that just went, went to a Super Bowl? He broke all his records? Hmm. That's pretty exciting. I'm pretty excited about that. I don't know how the hell he did it. Like, if his first reads to the tight end, the first, like, six or ten pass in the game were to tight ends Okay, nine of them, because one of them was a check down throw to the fullback. He doesn't look off receivers. Tyrone Tracy had a, I don't know what you call this route, it was basically an out and in, or an in and out route on the sideline, overthrown. He had a post-corner route. Spencer Peterson didn't even look at him, wide-ass open in the end zone. Ivory Kelly Martin, not even Tyrone Tracy, wide-ass open middle of the field on a vert route. No one even covered him. And Peters is staring down the slot receiver. 
that's just standing still. And he's like, oh shit, there's my running back with no one within 15 yards of him. Now I'm going to throw it as I'm getting hit. And then he, oh, did you, would you be surprised if I, he underthrew him? And then Tyrone Tracy. There was a nice play that Iowa drew up. I know, crazy that Brian Ferentz drew up a competent play. Read option, throw. You see this a lot in the NFL, some more in college, but you see it a lot in the NFL, more with like the Seattle Seahawks and teams with mobile quarterbacks. The Cardinals have it as well. RPO. Read the D-end, pull it, throw it. If the defense D-end crashes, pull it, throw it. D-end stays up, give it. Spencer Petras, corner blitzes. Tyron Tracy, wide open. Throws at his freaking knees. Maybe he's even shins. And well, what went from a walk-in touchdown is now a five-yard gain. I don't get it. Why? I, I've been an Iowa fan my entire... I've lived on this earth for almost 24 years. I've been an Iowa fan, so if you want to count the, oh, you went to UNI, so you can't be an Iowa fan. Okay, well, then I was an Iowa fan for 21 and a half years. This is BS that he has not had a single person challenge, which is what Kirk Marins does. Jake Christensen didn't lose the starting job until the next year after he put on a horror show for Iowa at 6-6 and and lost to Western Michigan on senior day. And then Stanzi comes in. It it took till Jake Rudock got injured in the week before Purdue to at least get C.J. Beathard a chance in the team. And I was like, okay, wow, C.J. Beathard's actually pretty good. James Vandenberg, the year Iowa went 4-8, and eight, or 3-9, and nine, whatever they went. I try to mark that year out of my memory. No other quarterback took a snap, let alone had an opportunity to take the starting job. Not one quarterback. That next season was the Rudolph sokol Beathard year where no one knew who the starting quarterback was or even who was even leading the race going into the spring. I don't know what it needs to what needs to happen. Peter's going 13 of 27, 145 yards, and all of those throws were under throw. There might have been two passes that were dropped. And that's because he threw it at 100 miles an hour when they're two yards away. I don't understand it. I don't know how, if you're an Iowa fan or die, most diehard Iowa fan, how you can defend him. You made the excuse for COVID last year like he was a true freshman quarterback coming into a new system. System. He's been in the same system for three years. He had Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Marset out, out wide. And you're telling me he didn't work with them once outside of practice? Just because they couldn't have official practices? You think Iowa did not run any practices? They didn't call them practices. Everybody does this. You don't think he threw with them outside of practice? I don't know what it is. How can you defend it? How can you watch what he does on the football field and go, oh yeah, that's the guy, I have confidence in him. Freaking happy feet. You have Brian Ferentz defending him, saying he's not ready while just having him throw 50 passes against Northwestern. Oh my God, it's so frustrating. Now, if they're not challenging for the starting job, Padilla, Hogan must be ass. If this is why we're not even getting a sniff of one of them. Padilla came in later in the game. 
but didn't see a lot of him. He threw one pass and basically handed off the rest of the time. It's frustrating. I'm not saying I was the greatest quarterback of all time. I was far from it. But I know how to watch the position. I know how to scout the position. I know what to do. Not necessarily I could put it all together, but I know what to do. But come on. These are wide-ass open throws. There's about five or six of those throws that are touchdowns. Iowa could have won by 50 points in this game. But he didn't even look at the wide-open receivers. Tyrone Tracy, I hope he slapped him in the head after that game. Because Tyrone Tracy is too good (laughs) to get two catches for 15 yards. There's no reason. I like Sam Laporta. I like Nico Regini. There's no reason those two should be leading the team and receiving over Tyrone Tracy. Zero reasoning. You know why Sam Laporta is leading the team and receiving? Is because Petra's a freaking check down master. Luke Lachey, or Lachey, I don't know how to say his name. Another tight end. Third on the team and receiving. Crossing routes, slant routes, dig routes, or dig routes, hitch routes. That's all Iowa runs. And they're all the tight end. Tracy was running corners. He was running out routes. He was running verts. He was running slant. He was doing everything and couldn't get the ball in his hands. Now, I do like that Iowa went with uh, Wildcat in this game a few times. Tyler Goodson read it like a running back where I'm just going to pull it every time (laughs) because I want the ball. I want the carries. We have the number one run blocking center in the country. Number Number one offensive lineman in the country, arguably. At least number one run blocker, number one interior lineman. Why are there not more runs up the middle? Ran a shitload of stretch plays. I don't know what Iowa's weird commit. I get Tyler Goodson is an insane athlete. He literally lip- jumped over a defender the other day. Put Monty Ponabom in, run I formation, yam it up their gut. Petra should not be throwing 27 times, ever. One, because he can't. Two, Because they have Tyler Goodson and Tyler Linderbaum. (laughs) Run the ball. Brian Ferentz, you're a former center. Run the ball. Now, 19 carries for Tyler Goodson is nice. I like it. It's an improvement on last year. 99 yards, great. 56 on one one carry. Ivory Kelly Martin are 44 yards. 22 of those wrong on carry. Which, I mean, those, those added the total... But it makes the grand total seem a little different when you look at, oh, 60% of that was on one play. Oh, man. Defense looks good, though. I won't take anything away from the defense. Defense looks freaking awesome. And I'm more confident going to Iowa State this weekend than I was two Saturdays ago, or this time last week. I'm way more confident going into this week now. And now it's college game day. Again, and it feels weird because I don't feel like it was that long ago that we had college game day names the last time. Because remember, we didn't have it last year because remember the Big Ten said, oh, no traveling in-state to play in-state rivals like you and I and Iowa State. We can go to New Jersey and play Rutgers, though. Logic. That's what we're all about. Logic. We would like to keep you as close as possible. So don't play your in-state rivals, you know. Just go go to the other side of the freaking country and play football instead. Big brain, big ten plays out there. 
But Iowa State, top 10 matchup. I think it's the first time these two teams have been in the top 10 at the same time playing in the Seahawks series. Top 10. And I, for one, was really surprised Iowa was ranked top 10. Now, they ranked 10th. They moved up eight spots, and there were a lot of teams in front of them that lost. But I was surprised they jumped up that high. Like, Penn State also jumped up eight spots. They beat Wisconsin 16-10. to Iowa won by frickin', what, 34-6? to And they moved up the same amount of spots as Penn State did? Now, I didn't watch the Penn State-Wisconsin game. I was too busy tailgating, so I didn't really get to see a lot of the Penn State-Wisconsin game. But, seems off there. And, I was I thought the game would be like an 8 or 9 versus 12 or 13. Which is what the coaches poll is. But, Iowa State's at 10. I didn't think they dropped that far. Basically... Cincinnati-Notre Dame moved up a spot because they won. Iowa State got, you know, the FBS bias of we almost you played a tough game against a good FCS school, so we're dropping you down two spots. You dropped the same amount of points <laughs> as Clemson did, and you won. Now, again, there's two different standards there, Georgia and you and I, but still dropped. Whatever. I mean, I'm cool with it. Nine versus ten. Iowa, I think they said, is one in four against top ten teams under Kirk Ferentz that won top ten win coming against Georgia Tech in the Orange Bowl. One of the greatest games of my lifetime. Oh, man. But top ten Iowa versus top ten Iowa State. Iowa State rocking the black uniform is what I think I saw, which is not very surprising to me. Try to get something over on Iowa and Iowa fans, get people frustrated before the game starts. I, I could take or leave the black jerseys, to be honest with you. Minnesota's black jerseys, I, I don't really like the maroon with the black. looks kind of weird. Minnesota's colors in general are kind of weird, the maroon and gold. I'm impartial to that myself, but I don't like the black with the maroon. It looks kind of weird to me. Iowa State's just all black and white. Could take or leave it. Don't really care. I know there's a lot of people out there that get really pissed off about it. Black uniforms are starting to become a thing in college football. Ohio State has black uniforms. Georgia has black uniforms. Who else has black uniforms on here? I think Texas A&M has black uniforms at some point. I think Mississippi State has black uniforms. UCLA, I think, has black uniforms at some point. What other teams on here do we have? Miami has black uniforms. I think North Carolina has black uniforms. There's a lot of black uniforms going around college football. And I, I don't know why this is. It's a lot of Iowa fans getting all butthurt about Iowa State wearing black because they want to be like their quote-unquote big brother or whatever. I just don't, I just black and white. It's not really much to it. I mean, they're good in the uniform. So, I mean, Iowa State fans are going to love them. If you're good in a uniform, you're like, oh, why not change it? Why would you change it? Especially if it pisses off Iowa fans. I, eh, I don't really care. I get the argument. If you don't have black in your uniform, you don't, why would you have an all black uniform? But that's just becoming a thing now where teams have black uniforms. I don't know. Take or leave it, I guess. <laughs> I know a lot of people get pissed off about it. Especially my friends. Not my friend. Well, there's not a lot of my friends that get really pissed off about it, but I know some people that get really pissed off about the black uniforms that Iowa State wears. And I see Iowa State fans taking it to, oh, why are, uh, how dare Minnesota copy Iowa and stuff like that. No, I haven't heard that before about Iowa fan. I, I don't know. 
the whole thing's weird to me. I don't really get all the petty stuff about it. I've, I think that's because I didn't go to Iowa. I think that took a little bit of the, the biases out of it, I guess. Maybe if I went to Iowa, it would be a lot worse than what I am. But I didn't go to Iowa, so... Because I shouldn't, I shouldn't be an Iowa fan, remember? <laughs> that's the dumb part about if you didn't graduate from the school, you can't be a fan of it. So if you pay taxes in another state, you got to be a fan of that NFL team now. And that's just how it works. You went to school for two years at one school. You can't have to cut out all other 21 years of your life because you went to school for two years at one place. Now, if Iowa and William Penn played, I'd probably cheer for William Penn because I played there. I think I get if you played there, that makes sense. Just because you now Iowa and Iowa State, like you go to a rival school, no, you can't you can't do that. But you and I and Iowa rarely play each other. Iowa and Iowa, you and I and Iowa State play each other a lot. So, there's no Iowa State fans at U and I, especially since it's a Northeastern school, Iowa being on the eastern side of the state. There's going to be more Iowa fans over there. I don't know. I didn't really choose a school because I was like, oh, I love U and I football. I chose a school because I had an opportunity to work for ESPN and I had friends that moved up there, so I had living expenses already figured out. That was my main reason. I didn't go, oh, U and I Panther football. Now, I became more of a fan of U and I Panther football, and I follow them very closely, but I'm not. Like, die hard. I'll go to you and I Panther games this year. Believe me. I'll go to, like, three or four, probably. Or try to. I'm going to try and get tickets to North Carolina or UNI versus North Dakota State game. That's in North Dakota. Because I've always wanted to go to the Dakota Dome. Or not, that's Vermilion. That's South Dakota. Um, or the Fargo Dome. That's what it's called. <laughs> oh, man. But top ten. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Clemson, Cincy, Notre Dame, Iowa State, Iowa. Any real surprise there? Iowa being number ten. That's probably about it. Nothing else really surprised me that much there. Top 20, you got Penn State, Oregon, Florida, USC, Texas, UCLA, Coast Carolina, Wisconsin, Virginia Tech, and Ole Miss. We have a few not-ranked teams in there. UCLA, Virginia Tech, and Ole Miss. UCLA balled out against LSU. That game was freaking awesome to watch. DTR, if you know the show, like I've said about Bryce Young, you know I like Dorian Thompson-Robinson. That's been a well-stated fact. When I was on Cole's show, I talked about him. When I've been on this show, I talk about him. Dude's a beast. I love Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I'm glad UCLA actually put out a good product. I'm not surprised to beat LSU. LSU just seemed like a big hype train this year. Offense is not anything to be really excited about. Got some nice players on defense, but their offense is big question marks. Derek Stingley, obviously the best corner in college football is there. Offense. <laughs> kind of stinks. UCLA played a very, very good game. Very, very good game. Virginia Tech, we always talked about them beating North Carolina and Ole Miss. We talked about them beating up on Louisville. And then 21 through 25, we have Utah, Miami, Arizona State, North Carolina, and Auburn. And Bo Nix put together a nice little performance against Arkansas Tech. Or Ark Akron. Akron Zips. I don't know why I said Arkansas Tech. <laughs> but Bo Nix, 20 to 20. Two, 275, three touchdowns. DJ Irons, though, for Arkin Akron, went 13 of 13, 129 in a touchdown. So that's pretty impressive. <laughs> that's pretty impressive, though, coming up against the SEC team from Akron. And he still lost by 50 points. <laughs> I mean, fair play to dude, though. Good game for DJ Irons. But yeah, that's college football for you. We got more games coming up this weekend, but we'll go over those a little bit more come Friday. We got some big games Iowa, Iowa State, Oregon, Ohio State. Florida, South Florida is going to be an exciting game. One would suspect, not really, Florida's going to fucking <laughs> stomp them. <laughs> at, least, at least that's the idea. Texas A&M versus Colorado could be fun. Mercer, Alabama could be fun. 
South Carolina State versus Clemson could be fun. Western Carolina versus Oklahoma could be fun. Arkansas, Texas. That one, Texas, Battle of Texarkana. That could be pretty fun. Yeah, the, the level of competition kind of went downhill post-week one. <laughs> it kind of, kind of went downhill. We have a lot more FCS versus big-time college programs this week. Ugh, it's not very fun. But you do have Kansas versus Coast Carolina on Friday, so that'll be very fun. Coast Carolina, after beating Kansas last year at Kansas, they're now 25-point five favorites. 25-and-a-half-point favorites over Kansas. That is sad. <laughs> that is sad. Good Lord. 25-and-a-half. 25-and-a-half over, over a, a Big 12 school. Good Lord, I gotta take a drink of water for that. Oh man. But also this weekend we had some United States action. We had Weston McKinney drama, which apparently was a lot bigger than what the media was originally making it out to be, according to Lana Donovan. Like it's a big time thing. I don't know what it was exactly. I saw he led a person into his room unannounced, I guess. I don't know what the person was or what they were doing, but we can assume, of course, but you know what assuming does makes ass out of you and me. Remember that old mantra, but this is World Cup qualifying. I understand where Landon Donovan's, I definitely understand where Landon Donovan's coming from. If you haven't, gone, go and search Landon Donovan West McKinney on like Twitter or YouTube. It should pop up. Uh, he explains it better than I will. But United States, 0-0 against El Salvador, 1-1 against Canada. Realistically, they should be winning both games. I understand more the tie against El Salvador. El Salvador than Canada because of the fact it was in El Salvador and you've got a lot of very young players playing in this game in their first ever World Cup qualifying game. That's a lot. That's a big ask for these young players like Matt Turner, Miles Robinson, Serginio Dest, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Brendan Aronson, Gio Reyna, Josh Sargent, Conrad De La Fuente. These are big games and for a very hostile environment like El Salvador, that was big. That in, that crowd there was insane. And the players looked nervous because they're very young. Now, should they still make the World Cup and should they realistically still won? Yes, 100%. They should not be tying El Salvador. They should always be beating El Salvador. They beat them 6-0 in December. Like, they should always be beating them, but I understand how they tied that game. Like, 6-0 against El Salvador. We had Ariola, Mueller, Leggett, Akinola, and Aronson scoring. Mueller scored two goals in that game. And Ty El Salvador, but the atmosphere there, bigger stage, bigger expectations. Hard for some of the players to get over. But Canada at home in Nashville, pool of six back. McKinney being out was massive. I mean, he's one of the best players the United States have. And not having him in that game is big. So him... Doing what he did is big in regards to the team aspect of things. United States should not lose to Canada. I get Canada is on the rise, and they have some very good players like Kyle Lahren, Jonathan David, and the best, of course, Alfonso Davies, who just got sent back to Germany. He was battling some sort of a knock against the United States. They took him out. Rosario came in for him third, halfway through the second half, I guess. Got substituted out. Dest is out for the United States in their next game. Reyna's out. Obviously, Weston McKinney is out. Those are huge players that are out for the United States against Honduras, a team that the United States has struggled with in the past. The United States has always had a tough time with Honduras 
in the game in the CONCACAF Nations League semifinal and took an 89th minute winner for Jordan Siachu to win the game. Like Honduras, it will always play tough, especially now that you're going down to Honduras to play. The United States winning this weekend, going, we want nine points, which is winning all three games, which is massive. They're a realistic shot of coming away with three, which is a massive disappointment for what the expectations were. And Pulisic sounded out on those expectations earlier today in a press conference on ESPN. Want to change things up a little bit. Pulisic's your big-time player. You've got some big-time players out. Zach Steffen's also out due to covid I mean, you'd love to have those players in, but you still got some good players. Brendan Aronson scored in the game against Canada. Brendan Aronson, we've talked about this before. Brendan Aronson deserves a starting spot in the United States. Like, an A-team. I know he started against Canada. I know he started against El Salvador. He should be always starting. He always has good performances for the United States. I've never really seen him put a foot wrong for the United States. He always looks to be on for the United States. I love watching him play. Whether it's on the wing, whether it's in attacking midfield, wherever, this dude loves to play. And in this game, you saw Pulisic start on the right wing, Aronson start on the left wing, or no, flip that around. Pulisic on the left, Aronson on the right. Pulisic was making a lot of runs centrally, which is what we've talked about before. Just starting Pulisic in the central midfield. Now, I could see the United States, I think this is the formation they ran against El Salvador, a 4-2-3-1 with Reina as the number 10. Maybe that would work. Aronson on the right, Pulisic on the left, Aronson is a 10, or Rain as a 10, McKinney and Adams sitting behind. Maybe that would work. Pulisic is a 10. Pulisic's always going to be pushed forward. He's going to be on the ball a lot. So, I don't know. I like Pulisic in the number 8 position or number 10 position for the United States, but that's just how I view things because I think those are where the that's where he naturally goes anyways. He wants to be on the ball. The spot you get on the ball the most is in central midfield. And that's where he was a lot of the game. If you look how the goal got set up against Canada for the Brendan Aronson goal, where is Pulisic? Not on the left wing. (laughs) He's playing in center midfield. Nowhere near the left wing. Anthony Robinson makes a great run down the sideline, plays a ball first time to Aronson, who taps in the back of the net. Eventually, the United States still has some question marks, though. Kyle Lahren scored six minutes after, seven minutes after that. They have some question marks. Pretty much the exact same situation happened to them down there. They should have won. Not a great game. The United States should have won. The United States should win. Go into these games going. Yes, nine points. Especially coming off a year where you beat Mexico twice in tournament finals. You need to come out of World Cup qualifying better than that. You got to. And if you look at the World Cup qualifying table right now, you're playing a team that has the same number of points and the same goal difference. Zero goal difference with two points. And they're in the playoff spot. The United States right now is sitting in fifth in qualifying. Canada is sitting third. There is no reason. Mexico is sitting on top with six points, with two wins. There's no reason the United States should not be in the top of this. You've seen what they've been doing this year. Why are they not on top of this group? They've been disappointing in World Cup qualifying. I don't know what it is. But they've been disappointing, and players being out is obviously hurting them, but they're going to need to bounce back in a big way against Honduras. They got the next World Cup qualifying round in October. You got the 7th, 10th, and 13th, and then you got the big game against Mexico on November 12th for more World Cup qualifying. 
it's going to be tough. You've got, counting the next games, you got one, two, three, four, five, six more games. And three of them are at home. One in Austin, one in Columbus, one in Cincinnati. And they always seem to play well in Columbus. That's one of their main places. But they need to start playing better. They need to play better fast. I don't know what it is. Something needs to change here. This is not the same team we watched in the Gold Cup. This is not the same team we watched in the CONCACAF Nations League final. I still think there are no back down from anybody type team, but they have not been playing well. In this past year, the last time they drew a game was November 12th against Wales. (laughs) This is September 2nd. That is almost a year since their last draw. They had one loss in there as well to Switzerland where they lost 2-1 in May. And now the big stage is here where it actually matters and they draw to Canada and El Salvador, teams they should beat. Regardless of how good they actually, how good they are or the atmospheres, they should beat them. I know I said that they're, it's a tough game against El Salvador. They should beat El Salvador. There's really no reason they shouldn't be beating El Salvador. And then finally, before we close out today's show, we've got to go over the NFL predictions that I made. So we'll go over those really, really quick because obviously we've made the video. You should go and watch the videos if you haven't already. So we're just going to go over those super duper fast. So the AFC North, we've got the Cleveland Browns finishing 13-4, the Ravens in second at 12-5, the Steelers at 9-8, and and the Bengals at 5-12. Bengals, I mean, they're obviously coming last in the division. I like Joe Burrow. He's going to be in some mental situations this season, coming off a knee injury. The Browns improved their defense. They got really good offense in regards to the running game. Odell Beckham should be back and healthy. If Baker doesn't turn the ball over, they'll be fine. Lamar and the Ravens, they'll be fine. The Steelers, offensively, they scare me a little bit. New off the line, older Big Ben, a lot of drops. That's basically the, the problems with the Steelers this year. AFC South, we have the Titans at 12-5, and the Colts at 8-9, Jags at 4-13, and, and the Texans at 0-17. I'd be shocked if the Texans won a game. We've talked about this before on the show. I would be shocked if they won a game. I really don't know where they get a win. I really don't know. Unless it's like Jacksonville last year where they get a win week one, where they play Jacksonville, I don't know where they get the win. I feel bad for David Coley. I feel bad for Tyrod. We'll see how it goes throughout the season. Jacksonville, college coach thing, bad. Not a great old line, young defense. And, uh... Weapons are fine. James Robinson's going to get a lot of touches again. Defense, not great last year. They got young pieces, but they didn't play great last year. Colts at 8-9, just injuries. Uh, They're going to get hurt a lot this year. Carson Wentz has already been hurt. Quentin Nelson's hurt. Eric Fisher's coming off an Achilles tear. That's going to be big. So, defense are fine. I mean, DeForest Buckner, Darius Leonard are beasts, but offensively, it kind of scare me a little bit. Jonathan Taylor will get a lot of touches this year. It'll be nice. But they scare me. Carson Wentz, Quentin Nelson's injury, Eric Fisher's injury, scare me. And then Titans, I mean, offense, they're just going to beat up everybody. <laughs> I mean, Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, there's going to be a shit out of everybody. They're just insane. Those three are going to outmuscle everybody defensively. Got Caleb Farley in the first round, Jeffrey Simmons, Kevin Byard. Got some nice players on defense, but you're coming off a season where you had the like top four Worst pass defense or bottom four pass defense in the NFL last year? And he went 11-5? and five. Good thing Derrick Henry's there because giving him the ball keeps the other team off the field. He eats up a lot of clock time. So, keep him on the field, run the ball, you stay on the field, other offense doesn't get a chance to go on. Titans win a lot of games, so 12-5 and five for the Titans. AFC East, 
We have the Buffalo Bills at 13 and 4. Then we have the Dolphins and Patriots at 10 and 7, and the Jets at 5 and 12. Jets coming in last, no surprises there. Bills brought back pretty much everybody, brought back 10 starters in offense, 11 on defense. John Brown's gone. Emmanuel Sanders is in. Josh Allen is going to go off again. Defense is good. They've got Star Lutalele back in the middle of the defense, which will be big for them. It needs some solidity in the run defense, needs some solidity in the run game on offense. Brought in Matt Breida. Pass offense will be fine. Run game kind of scares me a little bit. We'll see how they establish that this year. Jets are the Dolphins and Patriots. I think they're just right at the same level. I mean, the Patriots got improved. Jonu Smith coming in, Hunter Henry, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Matthew Judon, J.C. Jackson's still there. Like, they improved. Mac Jones was starting quarterback. But the Dolphins, they won 10 games last year. Just a time of how good Tua is. If he's as good as what we think he can be, they'll be fine. If he's just a game manager, kind of scary a little bit. Do I think he's a bust? Not at all. He had a very normal rookie year. It's just hard to judge him because you look at the two quarterbacks that also got drafted with them, that balled out. So it's going to be a little harder to judge him because he didn't put up those same numbers. And then the Jets, I mean, they got nice pieces. They're building for the future, but that future is not this year. <laughs> and then the AFC West, Chiefs at 14-3, and the Chargers at 10-7, and Broncos at 7-10, and and the Raiders at 6-11. and I don't like the Raiders. I think that's abundantly clear. I don't know who Derek Carr is really going to throw to apart from Dalen Waller. You hope Henry Ruggs is good. O-line's pretty much all new. Josh Jacobs is there. We'll get a lot of carries for you. Defensively, just haven't been good in forever. Ever since Cleo Mack left, you have no pass rush. Uh, You got Trayvon Morig, though, in the second round, which is nice. But Gus Bradley's there, I guess. That'll be good. I don't know. I'm not very high on the Raiders. I'm not at all. <laughs> then the Broncos at 7-10. and 10. Defense, good. Offense, weapons, good. Quarterback, not great. Scared about the quarterback situation over there. The Chargers, if Derwin James stays healthy, you got a top five safety in the NFL. If he stays healthy, Brandon Staley coming in, reigning defensive coordinator, the number one ranked defense in the league. Sure up the defense for the Chargers. Offense will sort itself out. Sort itself out. Justin Herbert, Baller. I mean, we established that last year. Keenan Allen, baller, been a baller. Austin Eckler, baller. Totally improved off the line. They'll be a better team. And the Chiefs, I mean, we're not going to talk about the Chiefs. Everybody knows the Chiefs are going to be good. <laughs> we already know that. And for the AFC, the playoff teams are the Chiefs as the one seed, the Bills two seed. The three seed goes to the Browns and the Titans as the four seed. The Ravens have the five seed, the Chargers at the six seed, and the Dolphins at the seven seed. For the NFC, for the NFC North, we have the Packers at 12-5 and winning the division. Not surprising. I mean, it's the freaking Packers. I mean, yeah, they have some question marks in regards to David Bakhtiari being injured. If Devontae Adams gets hurt, oh no, what happens? It's Aaron Rodgers. Okay? It's Aaron Rodgers. That's pretty much it. <laughs> I don't really need to say a lot more. It's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Jones is still there. You got Eric Stokes in the draft would be nice. Jair Alexander. Alexander is one of the best corners in the entire NFL. So, I'm not really worried about the Packers too much. Vikings at 9-8 and eight are in second. Offense good, defense improved. That's pretty much it. I like the offense. Defense had some nice additions in Patrick Peterson, Dalvin Tomlinson, Eric Kendricks, Daniel Hunter, Anthony Barr will be back. Harrison Smith's really consistent. Cam Danzel will have a nice second year. Off to line, improved. Weapons, nice. Kirk Cousins, overly hated. 
yeah, Vikings improved at nine and eight. Bears at seven and ten might be harsh. O line stinks. Defense good. Got some very nice pieces. Roquan Smith, Khalil Mack, Jalen Johnson at corner. You lost Kyle Fuller, which is big, but Eddie Jackson's still there. O line stinks. Quarterback question marks, and then good weapons on outside. Darnell Mooney and Al Robinson. Darnell Mooney, if he takes off like everybody's expecting to, will be fine. If not, well, we'll see. <laughs> Lions two and fifteen. Lions stink. Defense stinks. Dan Campbell and Anthony Lynn led offense. Kind of worried about that. O line not bad. Quarterback not great. Yeah, not really high on the Lions two and fifteen. <laughs> the, NFC South, sorry I'm being really vague with this, but I have two videos out, and I've already explained all of this, so I'm trying to just be fast here. NFC South, you had the Bucks 13-4, and four, which are reigning Super Bowl champions, insane defense, Tom Brady, pretty much. <laughs> Saints at 8-9. Jameis Winston's the starting quarterback, not really surprising. Defense is fine. Offense, don't have Michael Thomas, don't have Emmanuel Sanders. Alvin Kamara, beast. A lot of use of him in this offense. I'm just worried about how Jameis does in his first year back to the starting quarterback. The uh, the hurricane situation down there, players' minds not might not be on the field to start the season. So, slow start probably, but 8-9 for the Saints. Panthers, 7-10. and 10. Young, very young team. Exciting. Sam Darnold, if he's as good as what we thought he was when he got drafted, they'll be fine. Good weapons outside. Chris McCaffrey can stay healthy. Beast. Matt Rule, good head coach. Joe Brady, really good old coordinator. Young defense, drafted Jay-Z Horn, Derek Brown, Jeremy Chin. They'll be fine. I mean, they're not going to be amazing this year, but they've got building blocks there, and I'm excited to see what they do in the coming years. I could see them being better than that even. Falcons 5-12, defense stinks. Offense, fun to watch. Kyle Pitts, beast. Mike Davis, running game, question mark. Calvin Ridley, go off this year. Or will he struggle because of Julio not being there? Who will tell? Who knows? Defense scares me like Arthur Pitts, though. Arthur Pitts. Arthur Smith. <laughs> but yeah, Buccaneers are just top of the division. Falcons, defense just stinks. The other teams got better better defenses and very good pass offenses. Uh, NFC East, Washington 10 and 7. Dallas 9, 8 and 9. Giants at 6 and 11. And Eagles at 5 and 12. Eagles. Could go anywhere. I could see them being a borderline playoff team. I could see them being atrocious. I don't know what to make of their quarterback situation. I like Jalen Hurts. I think he's a hard worker. I think he's very humble. I really like what he brings as far as a leadership standpoint. I'm not a fan of Nick Sirianni. I like the weapons they brought in. I like Miles Sanders. O-line, if they can stay healthy, that's big. Defense, if they can stay healthy slash consistent, that's big. Just Nick Sirianni and just overwhelmingly question just a lot of question marks around the team in general this year Giants 6-11 O-line stinks defense is fine I like James Bradbury a lot Saquon Barkley's back and healthy you got Kenny Galladay Kadarius Toney Jerry Sterling Shepard O-line just stinks Daniel Jones will he find out if he's the dude or not this year maybe I don't think they'll move on from him this year though if he's even if he unless he's terrible then they probably will move on from him but right now I think they stick with him out uh, Cowboys 8-9, defense stinks. Dak, good. <laughs> if if he stays healthy, they'll be, could be better than that. I just don't really, it's the Cowboys. I don't really have a lot of expectations for the Cowboys. I like to keep those expectations for the Cowboys low. And then Washington, defense great. That's question marks on offense, sure, but defense is really, really good. NFC West, Rams 12-5, winning the division. 
Defense great. Matt Stafford coming in. Good weapons. Good O-line. They'll be good. <laughs> Niners, 11-6. and six. Everybody's healthy. That's it. Everybody's healthy. If this team's healthy, they're really good. If not, you saw what happened last year. Everybody's healthy. Seahawks, 10-7. and seven. Yeah. Russell Wilson's never had a losing season in his career. Yeah. <laughs> I like Seahawks are good. Seahawks are good. 10-7. and seven. And then the, C- the Arizona Cardinals, 9-8. and eight. Defense improved. J.J. Watt more of a morale booster than anything. Good weapons on the outside. Love Kyler Murray. Don't like Cliff Kingsbury. So the playoffs for the NFC. You got the Bucks as the one seed. Packers two seed. Rams three. 49 or Washington football team four seed. Niners five. Seahawks six. Cardinals seven. So in the playoffs, we got the Titans beating the Ravens. Bills beat the Dolphins. Browns beat the Chargers. Chiefs beating the Titans. Bills beating the Browns. And the Bills beating the Chiefs. So the Bills are in the Super Bowl on the AFC side. For the NFC... We have the Packers beating the Cardinals, Rams beating the Seahawks, and the Niners beating the Washington football team. Packers beating the or the Rams beating the Packers, Bucks beating the Niners, and the Bucks beating the Rams. So we have a Bills versus Bucks Super Bowl with the Bills on top. Josh Allen MVP, Offensive Player of the Year Nick Chubb, Defensive Player of the Year Miles Garrett, Rookie of the Year Offensive Rookie of the Year Zach Wilson, Defensive Rookie of the Year Jamin Davis or Micah Parsons. I'm 50-50 on that. Coach of the Year Brandon Staley, Comeback Player of the Year Dak Prescott. So there's the brief rundown of the playoff, the NFL predictions this season. Go and watch the videos if you haven't already. They're on YouTube. Just search Logan Blackman Show. They'll pop up. Go subscribe to the channel while you're there. And for Thursday, for the NFL, we got the Bucks taking on the Dallas Cowboys. The Bucks are eight-point favorites. Intriguing. I mean, Dak coming off an ankle injury. Zeke declining over the past few years. Good defense, really good defense. Zach Martin's out, which will be huge for the Cowboys off the line. Defense stinks. I like the Bucs in this one. Bucks will win this game. I'm not really too worried about it. <laughs> Reigning Super Bowl champions, the Bucs are really good. If you didn't know, the Bucs are really good at football. So that's all I've got for you today. Tried to run through the NFL predictions relatively fast. On some Friday, we're going to try and do an NFL quarterback ranking thing. So we know all 32 quarterbacks. Tyron Taylor was officially named the starting quarterback last night, which we knew pretty much going into this season that he was going to be the starting quarterback, but now it's official. So we have that for you. Hope you enjoyed the show. If not, I apologize for that. Go and watch the videos. If you haven't already, go watch, look at the blog post. Go and follow the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and go and subscribe to the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And with that, I'm Logan Blackman, and I will see you later. Peace.